This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Nick Diener. Nick is a Saginaw, Michigan-based producer. You may know him from his own bands, The Swellers or The Apology Tour, and he's also produced groups like We Are The Union, Hot Mulligan, Pines, and Derek Grant from Alkaline Trio. We get into a whole bunch of stuff, and this is Nick's second appearance on the podcast, actually, so there's a whole new bunch of questions that... I ask him that you have not heard me ask anybody before, which is a big change after 18 months of this podcast going. So, with that, I want to tell you about one of Jabberjaw's other podcasts. This one is the Mike Herrera Hour. Make sure to tune into Mike Herrera's podcast, the Mike Herrera Hour, where he features and interviews writers, entrepreneurs, and mostly musicians. Listen to him live every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific on Adobe Radio. You can also catch the Mike Herrera Hour on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and JabberjawMedia.com. For more information on the Mike Herrera Hour and more, go to MikeHerrera.net. I also want to tell you my new book, Processing Creativity, is out in ebook, audiobook, and physical book. If you enjoy this conversation, I guarantee you, you'll enjoy this book. It's all about how the creative process can create pitfalls for musicians and how to get past those pitfalls. So check that out. And now check out this interview with Nick. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So how do you introduce yourself to people who don't get the music business and are like total squares to tell them what you do? Oh man, it's it's so tough because strangers, they, they either think that you're this huge rock star, you know, <laughs> playing arenas and stuff, or they think that you just play at the local bar, or they think that you own a record label, uh, or like you're a talent scout. You know, it's there's so many different uh, perceptions of what 
I actually do. You know, when I was in my band touring and stuff, I would just say, I'm in a punk band. Mm -hmm. We tour the world, but we play, you know, cool small clubs and we have a good time. You know, so I would kind of let them know exactly what was going on so they didn't ask any, you know, really weird follow-up questions. (laughs) And then as far as being a recording engineer producer, I mean, when you say producer, they think that you're getting paid like a million dollars a year and you work with (laughs) hip-hop artists. So... I just say I make records for bands in my studio. You know, I, I, I'm a record producer. I, I make records, you know, I'm an engineer. And then they're just kind of like, oh, all right. You know, so <laughs> if you, you almost have to give them more words than are necessary. I'm with you. I don't know. Yeah. My, like my neighbor even asked me, he's like, you know, there's all these people rolling up and, you know, there's always random people in your backyard hanging out. Like, what do you do? So he's, he's, and, he's uh, really tried to find out if you have the good drugs. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the weirdest thing at my house because, like, me and, you know, most of the bands that come through here are, like, tattooed dudes. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, and a lot of them like to get comfortable, so it'll be hot outside. They'll be, like, in my backyard, shirtless, smoking a cigarette, playing with my dogs, Mm -hmm. uh, probably, like, swearing up a storm. And then, you know, the next minute, they'll see my wife roll in wearing, like, business attire and holding a briefcase <laughs> and they're just like what are all these people doing in the same house but yeah my neighbor just he just really couldn't grasp what i do and he was just like he's like well so you you practice with the bands and i'm like well no i i record them and he's like well how do you remember every one of those songs <laughs> i'm like what no I'm, I'm like oh my my head was just exploding it was one of those things you just really couldn't get across he's like well how do you play with them when they're all the way from Florida. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez. Like, it was like, it, it was impossible. So he still has no idea what I do, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he knows that there's nothing to worry about. So, 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 sounds painful. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> so catch us up. What have you been up to since we last spoke? I think the last time we talked, I was pretty much done touring with my band and getting ready to kind of take this studio thing up a notch with some cool gear and uh, focus a lot more of my time on it. So in that time, I've worked with a bunch of bands that ended up doing really well, like, you know, getting signed to labels kind of of all shapes and sizes. So it's just cool to, you know, have worked on a project and then you see like a tweet a month later from a label being like, we signed this band and we're putting out this record. And it's like, oh man, it's cool that it still works like that. You know, like you can just be some no-name band that's never, you know, made a record before and someone can still hear it and be like, I believe in this, we're going to get it out there. So it's awesome to see, especially all these like kind of young, new, talented bands. Lately, Hot Mulligan, they just signed a No Sleep Records. So that's kind of cool. Since my band was on No Sleep, we kind of kept that in the family. They're coming in to do their uh, first full length for No Sleep With Me at some point. So really excited about that. Tonight, I'm going to see a band called Greet Death. Uh, They used to be called Pines. Mm. Uh, they did a full length with me about a year ago and they just kind of sat on it for a while trying to figure out what to do with it. And I just kept saying like, guys, people need to hear this. It's like one of my favorite records that I've ever done. Like it's one of those records you listen to and you're like, I don't believe that this came from my studio. This is like something that I would listen to in 1999 that was on like a big label. Like it's just like the the band and the songs and the record just kind of blew me away. So I'm like, don't worry about labels. Don't worry about anything. Just put it out because people are going to fall in love with you and then you're going to figure out what to do. So Mm. today is their album release show. 
So I'm going to that. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm super excited. Like some really good bands are on that. Yeah, then there's Backpacks. They're a Michigan band. Copenaconic. And they're all on, uh, these guys are all on Savior Generation Records, which is a small label out here, but they just have like an awesome taste. Uh, they, they really pick up like the really rad bands, give them kind of a head start, which is awesome. Yeah, and then a band called Swordfish. Uh, they just signed to Take This to Heart Records. That, that was one of those records where you were like, man, you guys have played maybe two shows ever and you've never made a record, but this record feels like it's going to be something. Like it just like took shape and you're like, man, this is this is better than just like a my first record situation. So yeah, it, it was really cool to see someone just kind of pick that up almost sight unseen. They were just like, we love this song. Send us the rest. We're going to put it out. And you know, and that helps me out too. Just kind of, it spreads the word. People like to say that they worked with me and give me props and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then, you know, hopefully another band will hit me up from that and I can keep doing this thing. Nice. So is there any advice you give to each band you record? Uh, it kind of seems like it depends on the band. You know, some bands just ask questions left and right, which is fine. You know, it's great. Like it's one really good way to learn things instead of just like trial and error and making mistakes left and right just kind of asking hey what would you do in this situation so yeah you know i get asked anything from how do we get big how do we get signed how do we sound tighter you know should we kick this guy out of our band you know there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that pops up so you know i i and it almost always just refers down to like hey you should play shows just get out there, go on tour, and like, you know, do the thing. You know, there's there's some bands that are just like, cool. Which label do we send this to? And I'm like, well, you you can send it to whoever you want, but when you have a three page tour history, that's gonna look a lot better to them. So I think that's kind of the number one thing that I try to get bands to take away is like, this is the easy part. Like this record is now your ticket to go play shows and go on tour and you know obviously having a good record or good demos or whatever that really does increase your chances of somebody paying attention but yeah and I, I also try not to like say that my word is gospel because I've made plenty of mistakes and my band took like literally 10 years before we saw anything really big happen <laughs> so I'm like mm. I'm like there's a lot of people who do it a lot quicker you know maybe ask them but <laughs> for us we, <laughs> the only thing we knew how to do was just get on the road and play and just keep making records nice so how do you figure out how long a band should come in to take to record and make a record I like to do the whole one day per song kind of thing. So if, mm -hmm. if you're coming in for five songs, I'm like, you should plan on five days. Sometimes, most of the time, that's gonna be kind of out of a band's budget because I think with newer bands, they, they think that they can just come in and they, five songs in one day and that's what they saved up for and that's what they're ready to pay. So when I tell them five days for five songs, you know, they're kind of like, oh boy, you know, that was not what we thought. So. Mm. You know, it can be done in fewer days. There's going to be more of a rush. There's going to be less actual work on the arrangement and really hacking away to make it the best thing possible. But, you know, I tell the bands, you can definitely make this happen in three days if we hustle and if you have all the parts written. So it's kind of give or take two days. You know, there's like a formula, I guess. So like if you're going to do 10 songs, we could probably do it in eight days. You know, if we're going to do four songs, might be able to do it in three days. But it really depends mostly for me on drum editing, which is probably the most time consuming part. And uh, 
vocal tracking just because my rule of thumb is kind of like don't do more than three songs of vocals in a day like two if you can get away with it i know you know sometimes budget and time constraints but you know when we made our record uh, the swellers record at the blasting room they were like cool you're gonna do two songs of vocals a day but with a day off in between which was kind of mm. like mind-blowing i'm like oh we're gonna be wasting so much time like i'm just gonna be sitting around but man, my voice felt so good the entire time. Like it was no joke. Mm. So, you know, when you're singing into thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment and paying engineers and producers all this money, it's like, yeah, you know, they want your voice to sound as good as possible. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the one thing I try to push is like pacing the vocals, uh, really taking your time, trying not to just smash it all in. But at the same time, you know, I am a little bit punk rock. So sometimes I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. Like, screw it let's do three songs in one day let's see what happens but you know that's only if the band's kind of garagey you know indie punky kind of thing so yeah it varies nice so talk to me about the work you do before a band starts recording like what does pre-production look like what is the uh, conversations you have what do you do before they ever even set foot in the studio sometimes if a band has like zero input or zero questions they literally will just show up and then we'll be like cool let's see what happens Sometimes, if they actually do want to talk about pre-production, working with the songs, I'll, you know, there are a lot of bands that like to be extra prepared. So I end up either doing like a long distance pre-pro kind of thing if they have demos, which saves a lot of time, or they'll even do their own scratch tracks and click tracks and then bring them to me, you know, which saves mm. a lot of time. But I think that's one of the coolest things about using uh, Pro Tools or anything like that is you can actually see the song in its entirety instead of just listen to it and try to remember where everything is. So yeah, I think the first thing I like to do is kind of make sure that the song is symmetrical in a way where it's like, mm -hmm. wait, why is this thing happening five times, but it's happening four times here? Um, that pre like yesterday, for example, I did a day of pre-production with a band called Forest Green. Um, they're going to come in next week to work on some new stuff. And it was one of those things where it was just basically, let's cut the fat. And that one sweet part that happens in the middle of the song, let's, I want to hear that again, because it was that sweet. Mm -hmm. You know, so we tried to figure out how to make that kind of thing happen. Yeah, then there's, you know, basically starting with the structure of the song, and then I move into drums, like drum beats, like hey, that beat's distracting, or that fill is a little too long and too flashy. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. And I'd, I'd say like kind of the number one thing, especially lately, the trend is, it seems to be noodly guitars. People really like to have their rhythm guitar player, and then the other guy who has the huge pedal board is <laughs> just noodling over the whole thing, which is great. It's really cool that, you know, you're being creative, but sometimes that guitar just has to shut up and let the vocals do their thing. So it's heartbreaking for a guitar player to hear like, hey, that whole thing that you do throughout the whole song, I want you to do it half as much and I want you to play some chords with the other guy, you know. That seems to be something that I'm in the minority of thinking, you know, because it seems like every new band that comes out is just like, wait, what? Stop? Stop playing the noodly guitar part? And it's like, yeah, yeah, just please just, you know, let the song kind of tell a story, bring in that noodle for the second half of the second verse. And like, you'll be so stoked to hear it versus hearing it through the whole thing. And then, yeah, you know, when it comes to lyrics and phrasing and stuff, a lot of that I tend to do while tracking, because even though I do like to pick apart bands and share my input, I kind of like to just see what would happen naturally. 
It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when they sing something, if they're having trouble with a certain line or a certain word or a note, you know, I'll jump in. But otherwise, I'm just like, man, go for it. You know, I get the question too a lot. They'll stop and be like, am I enunciating enough? Like, can you hear me? Like, do you understand me? And I'm like, dude, I could point out like 40 top 10 hits where I couldn't understand a word they said, but they were catchy and they made a ton of money. So I'm like, I don't care if I can't understand you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like Nirvana did pretty all right. And that was a lot of mumbling and, you know, uh, so yeah, I am a bit, I'm really particular about the structure of the song and the flow and making sure you could bob your head through it and nothing's really distracting. But, you know, like I said before, uh, there's that element of punk rock. Like you got to kind of just let something slide. If something's so weird and I don't understand it, sometimes I'm like, yep, we're going to keep that. Like, <laughs> like that's, mm. that's something weird and unique that you came up with in the jam space that that's going to go on the record. Nice. How do you show a band you're on the same team? I know this is like one of the things that is always kind of weird for what we do is that like some people really feel adversarial with a producer. Is there anything you do to get them on to understand that you're on the same page and same team? Yeah, that's something I've been actually noticing lately. Like, dude, I'll be honest with you. I'll vent like, Mm -hmm. bands are getting on my nerves in the past couple of months and it's not really their fault it's just i have a lot of business you know thankfully it's been good uh so there's a lot of work so a lot of people are kind of putting themselves first saying like hey by the way we need this mixed like next week or like in three days and i'm like oh (laughs) i'm like actually you know that's kind of not how it's gonna work but you know since i am kind of a nice guy sometimes you know i'll put in extra (laughs) hours you know i'll go in at like 10 at night and just mix stuff until one in the morning just to kind of get a head start um after a long day of tracking or whatever the other thing is I've noticed a lot of bands come to me because a certain member really liked my old band, The Swellers, or my songwriting, or other records that I've made. The other guys in the band, they don't know me from Adam, and they are going to question everything that I bring up, and like even give me recording tips, and stand over my shoulder, <laughs> and and I'm just kind of like, oh boy. So, you know, then you have to figure out the nice way of saying, you guys came to me for my touch. You know, I could do it your way. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes I do learn from people. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, sure, I'll give that a shot. But, you know, there's been a lot of instances lately where I just seriously want to write them back and say, oh, you want to mix this? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, my goodness. I think the struggle is trying to find a way to let, yeah, let them know that we're on the same team. Trust me. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like it's not even me trying to say we're on the same team. It's just me just wanting to be like, hey, you should know that we're on the same team. Like, you should trust me. I've had zero complaints about this sort of thing so far. I promise you're not going to be the first ones to come to me and complain about this. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, we're going to finish on time. It's going to sound sick. So, yeah. And it, I think age and like the, the music scene that they come from, both of those things kind of come into play. If there's a younger, newer band... They might be slightly intimidated to let me know what they think. But Mm -hmm. if I'm recording like a 40-year-old dude, they might be standing there with their hands on their hips, like staring down my computer, just wondering what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, that is a little intimidating. (laughs) And, you know, and they're not afraid to say like, oh, there needs to be like a reverse snare drum here, you know, or something. And it's like, okay, man, like, I I don't know. I, I have never, I've never like blown up on a band you know which is mm-hmm. you, you really can't do you know you have to because the band's already half the time fighting with each other they're just bickering left and right so you you have to be the mediator but you know when the hostility comes toward you it's kind of like you have to figure out a, a way to diffuse it 
And, you know, sometimes it just comes to like putting on your headphones when you're doing some editing, just as a sign of like, I don't want commentary. Like, I know I missed that. I'm going to fix it later. You know, <laughs> there's yeah, all, yeah. all kinds of that stuff. Yeah. You know, so far, so good. I, I think it's, you know, there's there's something to be said. There, like, it's It's almost hard to find a nice way to tell like an older musician who's been in nine different bands, who's being like really bossy. It's like, well, you know. How about you listen to the guy that made all these records and like went on tour and like did it? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't make it to a huge level by any means. I didn't make it uh, like a ton of money, but I'm like, you've been stuck in this town all this time and your goal is to get on tour. Like maybe take some of my advice, you know, just a little bit. My, you know, the, the rule is like, let's try everything, you know, always give everything a try, but you don't have to do everything my way. But usually my way is pretty good, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the toughest part is, yeah, when you're working with one band, it's one thing. But when there are four or five projects that you're currently working on and each band has that person that's kind of constantly checking in on you to say, see how's it going or, uh, you know, hey, we should try this instead. It, you know, it gets really frustrating. It, it gets to be quite a bit. I'm with you. You mentioned the 40 year old band. What it differs in your process when you're working with a younger band versus a more experienced band? Uh, honestly, I'm more open to giving advice to a younger, newer band. I feel more comfortable with it because I knew that when I was younger and newer, I was just like a sponge, you know, I'm like ready to just soak up anything. And even some more established bands that I've recorded, you know, they've been to some great studios and sometimes they just seem really open to trying stuff, you know, so I feel comfortable. But, you know, the, the band kind of sets the tone when they get in there, whether they care about what you have to say or if they want you to just hit the record button. Like I said before, you know, some members might really dig my input, whereas the guy who had nothing to do with coming to the studio is kind of just set in their own ways. Like I had a drummer recently too, who we did pre-production and I was like, we're going to make this record sound great. And the drummer like pretty much blatantly said, I am not going to change my drum parts. <laughs> and I was just like, oh boy, like, well, step one denied, you know? So, <laughs> and then, you know, you kind of look at the rest of the band, they kind of shrug like, oh man, we don't know. But I do, like, I think my number one goal is to make the best record possible, but not at the expense of, like, everybody being super bummed out. So it's like you almost have to go to plan B of, like, let's make the best record possible with all these egos in the way so nobody gets real pissed off, <laughs> which is totally you know, kind of a crappy way to go about it. But, you know, it's their money. It's their time. Sometimes I'm really happy to put my name on it in the end. Sometimes I'm not so much. There hasn't been like a record that I finished though that I was like, woof, don't put my name on this, you know, because yes. it's my job to make it the best thing possible. Yeah, I'm usually proud of anything I do. Even if I just can't stand the style of music, I end up liking that band's songs just because I've been so invested in it. And I'll go see them live and I'll sing every word because they're just like ingrained in my head. I, I like I usually wake up with some part of some band song that I've recorded in my head. There's a band called Adrian that I just recorded, and they're kind of like a every time I die kind of riff rock, almost Motley Crue at times, just almost Avenged Sevenfoldy at times, which is really cool because it's kind of unlike anything I've recorded. But dude, I wake up without fail at like 4.30 in the morning to go take a piss, and I have like 
one of their bridges in my head, just instant. And I'm just like, man, that must be a good sign. You know, <laughs> like if I'm subconsciously waking up to this like rock and roll band in my head, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Hi, I'm Mike Mowry, president of Outer Loop Management. My team and I have been helping our musicians release their albums and EPs to get the biggest first week sales possible. And our strategies work. We consistently get first week debuts on the billboard charts, leading to greater opportunities for my clients, great tours, great media coverage, and great industry attention. For the first time ever, I'm going to show you how I do it. Go to OuterLoopCoaching.com to learn more and register now for Release It Right, my online webinar on July 22nd, or Unleash It Right on July 22nd as well as July 29th. Put in the code NOISEPOD5, all caps and all one word, and I will give you $5 off the price of either webinar, and I will give another $5 to this podcast. So you'll be supporting this show while supporting your own career. Again, Go to OuterLoopCoaching.com and use the code NOISEPOD5 to get $5 off either Release It Right on July 22nd or Unleash It Right on July 22nd and July 29th. Peace. So what happens when someone says nobody will hear that? Because I feel like this is the great argument in the studio uh, that happens nearly every session. Right, like the nobody will hear that mistake, like it's fine, let's or, move yeah, on. Uh, yeah, I mean, wh whatever the incident is, I think a lot of what makes a producer is how you handle the nobody will hear that moment. Oh man, uh, I'm really guilty of being the first one to say that. Like, if there's like a weird guitar screech or like some kind of little thing that happens, I'm usually the first one to turn around with a smile on my face and be like, that was cool. You're probably not going to do that again. I say we keep it because it really makes you sound like a human being. And mm. a lot of times they'll be like, yeah, man, cool. That's rad. Mm. As long as the drums and the bass are tight, like the guitars can kind of stray and do whatever. Or if like the voice cracks in a weird way, you know, there's there's certain things that are really cool for me to listen to. But yeah, other times, like the littlest things drive me nuts. Like drummers hit a, you know, a couple cymbals, they crash, they ring out, and then they put their sticks together in their hand and wait for the next mm -hmm. part. But you hear that stick click that's usually at the end of a song. You know, there'll be this amazing take and they'll just be like, you can edit that out, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's literally in every single microphone in the middle of this fade out. And it's like, ah, oh, dude, I just need that last hit. You know, so it's the littlest, like unsettling noises. Like I definitely hear the one thing that I do not let slide are tuning issues as far mm -hmm. as guitars. Oh, my God, man. Like. It's a blessing and a curse because I'll seriously have like the worst day of my life just basically tuning chord by chord because of the way a yeah. guitar player plays their chords versus how the other guitar player plays their chords or their guitar might be slightly intonated differently or, you know, just there's so many variables. But once you get it and the band might be looking at me the whole time, like we don't hear a difference. I don't get what's happening. But then when I finally get it and I think it's perfectly in tune, like I can breathe again and they look at me and they're just like, dude, suit yourself. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, someone else might be like, yeah, it does sound a lot better. I'm glad that we took the time to do that. Because, you know, I, I hear big commercial records without a tuned guitars and I just must be yeah. really sensitive to it. 
there's there's something about it like and it, it started off like with a swellers record we did like in 2009 i remember listening to like rough mixes and i just like called up uh, mark mahalik who recorded us and i'm like dude why didn't anybody tell me that the g-string on the left pan guitar was slightly flat the entire time and he was like what are you talking about and like we went back in and listened and we were like yep it is which is such a silly dumb little thing but i was like we have to just redo that guitar i you know i knew exactly what string i knew which chords it was more prevalent on it was like the minor third that fell flat because of the tempered scale blah 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 and like yeah it just drove me crazy and i've actually heard of like other producers and engineers that kind of have that same ear where they yeah. they like, i think it was even bill stevenson you know who i'm probably going to reference a lot because I, I learned a ton from that guy i think it was in, in an interview with him like he was listening to a, a beatles song you know sometime when he was like a little kid and he noticed that the bass guitar was like a quarter step sharp, which is barely noticeable, but he just knew something was off. And, you know, you might not know until you're older exactly what that means, but, you know, you could just tell something's wrong. So, like, you don't have to be a musical genius or understand theory to just be like, something's wrong about this. But I think that, you know, that even explains why when I was a kid, I gravitated toward a guitar that was tuned a half step down in the guitar mm. store. I didn't know that it was tuned a half step down. I can go back and forth between the two guitars. I was 10 years old, you know, I couldn't tell mm -hmm. what sounded different, but I just said, this guitar is magic because it can play Green Day. <laughs> this one cannot. And I remember playing this half step down guitar, ordered it, I got my guitar at my house, played it, and it didn't have that magic. And I was just like, what's going on? And then, you know, about a year later, year or two later, looked up tabs for, you know, how to play Weezer or Green Day. And it's like, tune it a half step down. And I was yep. like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I was like, oh, you can tune a guitar to something different. And then I played that open E and I was just like, oh my God. I was like, this is it. Awesome. So I guess I've been sensitive to uh, perfect pitch. Like it, like I just knew the difference when I was that young between E and E flat, mm. and it made that much of a difference to me. So uh, yeah, so tuning and keys and things like that are pretty special. So I'm, uh, I've been kind of obsessed with the thing that the order we track instruments in as producers, everybody always used to do drums, bass, guitar, then vocals. And now that's gotten to the point that it seems like every producer is doing something totally different. What is your common order for tracking? Definitely because I'm a tuning freak, like I said, I like to do drums and then guitar. And I make the guitars in tune with each other the best I can. Then I do bass. And the thing about bass is the strings are so big and floppy. Sometimes the action's high. Sometimes the player picks harder than the guitar player might, uh, the bass has a tendency, even when it's in tune, to not be in tune with the guitars that are recorded. So I end up sometimes, if you're lucky and everything's intonated and the players play really smoothly and cleanly, everything's just going to be fine from the get-go. But a lot of times you have to basically tune the bass guitar to the song. And sometimes that means flattening that low E string if the bass player really likes to thump on it. So that kind of brings me the most peace is doing bass guitar later because really it is just like a it's another guitar in the music that i tend to record it's less of a rhythm instrument uh it's kind of just a low-end guitar uh you know because like in r&b and funk you know that kind of stuff yeah it's very much a rhythm instrument with the drums so with those kind of projects i'll generally generally record bass right after drums but for the rock stuff, yes, I, I flip it. Then I'll tend to, uh, depending on, you know, if the band is like 
super noodly like we were talking about earlier i'm like hey let's let's take it easy with the lead guitars for a second and let's track vocals and let's go back and forth between vocals and lead guitars and by doing that you can kind of tell if you didn't do a ton of pre-production on the lead guitars you can kind of just say hey don't play your guitar there it's really just messing up the vocal line so that's kind of a good way i would rather record the leads after the vocals are laid down uh, instead of just going in and hitting delete you know and chopping all that stuff and then yeah it's also cool to be able to give the vocalist a rest you know just doing like two songs of vocals and then being like hey lead guitars let's let's take the rest of the day and do that and wake up the next morning it's too early to do vocals you know sometimes people just want to wake up mm -hmm. so it's like let's do some tambourine let's do some synth okay it's vocal time again cool you're done doing vocals time to do some more lead guitars and uh i really do like chopping it up it keeps you a little bit more mentally alert to as an engineer and the band just sitting here because i used to think that recording drums for so long non-stop was like the biggest pain but lately I'm realizing it's a guitar. Like recording eight songs on loud distorted guitar taking, you know, eight or nine hour day, like that mid-range and that noise, just all you hear is just white noise at the end. And then, you know, the band will come up and be like, I think we we can probably do like another two songs. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you might be able to, but my brain is so tired and this is my house. So <laughs> get out. You know, I, I try not to pull that card, but I think people kind of get it. Like my wife is, what is she? 32 weeks pregnant oh, wow. today. Wow. So yeah. So she's uncomfortable. Uh, she gets home from work and, you know, so I'll be recording a band and she'll text me usually while I'm recording a band and she'll either like make fun of them or just be like, what's happening down there? You know, <laughs> kind of yeah. just kid, kidding around with me. But lately, it's just been like, when are you going to be done? And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm sorry. So, like, I'll tend to kind of leave the not as loud and raucous stuff for, you know, when she comes home. And I've been really good about planning all that. And, you know, she's a total sweetheart because she has the real job. She's an accountant. And she lets me do the recording thing and, you know, has never complained. She just, like, really likes to see me and hang out, which is such a cool thing. You know, I'm lucky. But, <laughs> That's right. uh, yeah, over the, the 4th of July weekend, she had four days off and I had so many deadlines. And I was like, babe, I seriously need to go into the studio and at least mix for, like, two to three hours a day. Like, I'll just wake up and mix send some stuff off and then we can hang out. Oh man, dude, I was lucky if I could work an hour a day and she would just come down in the studio and just be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What should we do today? And I'm just like, I get it. It's your time off. Like, don't want to upset the pregnant lady. Let's, let's go <laughs> hang out. Meanwhile, I'm getting messages left and right, even on the 4th of July from all these bands, just, by the way, we need this now and we changed our mind about this. And I'm just like, oh boy. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, today's kind of like, I sent off two, three songs that I mixed and I have a little bit of editing and mixing three more songs for that band Adrian mm. uh, that I was talking about that I wake up and pee and have them in my head every mm. single night. So yeah, pretty excited to, I don't know, kind of have everything off my plate, hopefully today or tomorrow. It's such a good feeling when you get everything done. What's one of the best lessons you've learned about getting good creativity out of musicians lately? I think the, one of the things that I'm trying to do is realize that, you know, there are no rules, but, you know, there's kind of rules. So it's like when I'm talking about a song arrangement and symmetry and all that, and I'll be like, that's the pop song structure. I'm like, it's not a rule, but our ears just kind of want to hear that. Like you just kind of know when something feels better than 
what you had before. But one thing I'm trying to do is just kind of take what the bands are doing. Like that band Hot Mulligan, for example. Like I watched them play to, I don't know, a thousand people at a festival. And I was just like, man, for being such young, talented musicians, that's such a huge show. When they come into the studio and ask me for advice... I'm going to say, guys, do what you think is right. You know, like go with your gut because you've proven to me that in like three short years of being in in a band, that was actually two years into them being in a band. I was like, you've proven to me that you know what the kids want to hear and they're on your side. So some of the stuff that I might question, like, why are you doing this? That part's weird. Who would even do this, chances are it came from a place that I don't understand. And maybe that's why my band never took off, but yours is going to. So I'm like, I can help you polish the edges and kind of like let you know some obvious stuff. Cause it's really hard to like not overlook some of the obvious things that you would want to change. You know, when you're jamming with your five friends and you're so excited. So when you get me as like the sixth band member, you know, there's going to be a lot of like, Oh, moments. But at the same time, there's going to be those moments for me, too, where I'm like, what's going on here? I bet this is something that is going to be big. And you need to let bands experiment with some stuff that goes against your judgment. Because like a band like Nirvana wouldn't have gotten to be Nirvana without kind of staying true to themselves. Mm -hmm. There's always something that pops out of nowhere that didn't fit the mold. I mean, I'm not sitting here just banking on the band hoping that they, you know, become like these pioneers of their whatever weird noodle core um, (laughs) part, you know. But at the same time, it's just like, it's exciting for me to finally be able to sit back as a a musician and just be like, that's a cool new thing that I wouldn't have done. Sure, let's do it, you know. Nice. So I feel like a lot of producers have philosophies they apply to when they put a record in a certain order is there common philosophies you have about sequencing a record? A lot of times, it's not even up to me, like the track order. Sometimes bands will just 100% have it in order, in their head, ready to go. But yeah, when a band doesn't exactly have an idea, you know, they might ask me, what what order do you think this should be in? And I've done a couple of those lately, and I just feel like there's always a song that feels like the last song. Then there's always a song that's like, that's the opener. And then the second or third song is usually, I think, you know, should be the single. If not the first, you know, sometimes people have a really short attention span. Like, give them the jam first. Like, really, really hook them. But, you know, I'm a kid of the 90s. You know, that's kind of where I grew up. So when you got a record, there was kind of a certain flow. And unfortunately, you know, looking back, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those records, they had a lot of bad songs. They had a lot of filler. And it was just kind of like, man, like, this is, this is unfortunate. So I think it's really important to kind of just keep them, you know, actively listening throughout the whole thing. Don't make track six, seven, eight, and nine the bummers. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's kind of difficult, but I think that uh, the track order is it's becoming less and less important in the days yes. of like shuffle, you know, uh, everybody's shuffling. Everyone's making like playlists and things like that. Uh, but for me, like I'm a, if, if I like the full album, I will listen to the whole album and the the sequencing makes, you know, it makes or breaks it. it. It means a lot to me. But at the same time, there's a lot of bands where I might only really dig two songs on the record, you know, so mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll just listen to those. 
but for the sake of the art, you know, I just love a good track order. Just, uh, it was probably one of the most fun parts, like being in our, uh, you know, in the Swellers and any other band that I've been in, just kind of being like, all right, like this is how it's going to be unveiled to the world. Like it's got to tell the story, even if it doesn't make sense lyrically, like musically, it's got to kind of take you through the series of moods and emotions. I'm with you. So what's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Well, Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore at The Blasting Room, they pretty much set in stone everything that I already believed about, you know, song arrangements and uh, just like the process in general. And they also taught me like a bunch of new stuff. And uh, Mark Mahalik, who did a lot of the other Swellers records, he's pretty much been like the ear that was listening to me every time I had a question about recording. And he was always super helpful. So I learned a lot about the actual engineering side from Mark. And then I learned a ton about the production side from Bill and Jason. And, you know, those are two people that I've spent the most time with making records. So, yeah, there wasn't like any one piece of advice that really uh, sticks to me, but it was just like the overall process. Nice. What's something outside of music that you're really good at or really interested in? I think, you know, what goes hand in hand with like production and helping out a band in the studio is I, I tend to have that glow in my eye when somebody asks for advice. I, th I just really like to help people in general, whether it's just whether it's about music or not, I just think it's awesome to be able to kind of lend your experience, you know, just kind of share your experiences and then hope people can learn from them. Also like informing people, you know, if like if someone has a question about, you know, other things I'm kind of passionate about are like fitness and nutrition and food, food ethics, uh, religion, you know, all of this stuff that like, I just love like reading into. So when someone asks me a question and I can kind of give them like, you know, some actual real info, it, it feels good. And I think that one of the jobs outside of being an engineer producer that I would have would be becoming like a high school teacher, something mm. like that. I just really think that that would fit my personality and my style. Uh, the only problem with that is I might only make a little bit more money and I would have to go to like th three and a half more years of college to make that happen, uh, so, which would probably take all my money away. So yeah, I tried to, I do try to find other avenues to kind of help people out. You know, I was a personal trainer for a while, mostly mm. did that like through, through my website online and things like that. So yeah, to be able to, I don't know, just to be able to help people out in any aspect is really cool. And one thing I'm going to have to get really good at is uh, being a dad. Like, uh -huh. I, don't, I, I don't know how to make a kid survive. Like, I think I know how to make them into like a pretty good human being. But uh, as far as, you know, when and what they eat, I, dude, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really lucky that my wife's going to be home for a couple months you know, to help me figure it out. But I, I'm honestly probably going to slow down the studio thing for a little bit. Mm. Uh, maybe not take on such big projects just to kind of keep the noise level down around here and to spend some more time with the little one when they come. So totally. Uh, yeah, I think we are. I, I can already guess that the answer to this is going to be tuning. But um, what is the musical bane of your existence? I, of course, you know, tuning is super annoying and really bothers me but i think the one thing and it, it this does have its place 
sometimes is palm muting on the bass guitar. I just feel like when the guitar players start palm muting and then the bass player goes to palm mute with them, I'm just like, man, like you're playing a Fender P bass. Nothing sounds cooler than a P bass finally getting to shine through the mix and growl mm. a little bit. You know, you listen to basically any old punk rock record where there's palm muting happening, the bass is just driving, the bass is going. So that's actually something that not a lot of people pick up on. Uh, so in the studio when that happens, you know, I, I can just tell. I'm like, I know the bass player is going to start palm muting here. And I'll stop and be like, how about we just let the bass do its thing? And then we do. And I'm just like, oh, it sounds so nice. It is great. So <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day. It's not a big deal. Sometimes the bass needs to palm mute. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> most of the time... I, I I don't want it palm muting. I I need it to sound like a bass guitar. I, I I'm with you on this one. <laughs> Do you have a philosophy on the equipment you buy? Is there anything that guides you in your decisions for that? Man, it's been a pretty wild year as far as uh, buying and selling and narrowing stuff down. Like I, I recently switched over to kind of as much analog uh, stuff as I could, like some preamps, a couple compressors, things like that. I think one philosophy is like buying clones of really expensive vintage stuff is a lot more cost effective and still very cool. So basically everything that I have, like the classic API, like the, I don't even know what you would call it, like classic audio products of Illinois. Like, you uh -huh. know, they make all the API clone kind of things. And so I have a couple of those that were like, you know, custom builds from people. The Serpent Audio... SB4001, I think it's called. It's a stereo bus compressor that's mm -hmm. kind of like the SSL thing, but it has twice as many features as the SSL, and it was like half the cost. Uh, so I was like, oh, man, that's that, that's probably my favorite piece of equipment just because I run every mix through it. Like, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, the proverbial end of my console, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like... Yeah, it's going through these nice microphones and these cool preamps, but then it goes into the computer and it's like such a bummer to me that there's a computer there. Mm. So putting it through that last bit of squeezing that compression, it, it, it just makes me feel a little bit better about the whole thing. I like that. What's a piece of gear or a plugin you use that no one else seems to love, but you love? I, I might actually have to go with an effects pedal. Uh -huh. um, the Full Tone GT500, it's uh, like a boost overdrive on one side and a distortion on the other side. And I mean, you can probably get them for like a hundred bucks. I don't yep. think anybody is like famously using them. And I just think that they're just, they're just this pedal that I just happen to have. And I was joking around one day and I just left my pedal board plugged in. And I plugged my bass guitar into it, and I just started getting this amazing bass tone on the distortion side, you know, keeping the distortion a little bit low. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've just done a couple records and a couple mixes like that I played on myself, and people were like, yeah, it sounds really good. But what is going on with the bass guitar? How did you get that sound? So I was like, dude, that must be something. I must be onto something. So I think if I became like a famous producer guy, like, you know how Steve Albini has, like, these five things he uses that everybody's yep. like, oh, I got to go get that now? Yep. I, f I feel like for me, it'd be the full-tone GT500, which I actually haven't used in a while, but I think I need to pull it out of retirement because I'm kind of getting excited about it again. That's funny because, uh, yeah, I, I have that and I use that all the time and on bass. So we have oh, that in that's common. that's awesome. That's totally that hilarious. Great. 
Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard anybody else who's used it. And um, uh, there's that band, The Super Weeks, out in uh-huh. Philly. And their guitar player, singer Evan, you know, he makes a lot of records, Evan Bernard. And he asked me about my new band, The Apology Tour, like the bass tone. So I told him that's what it was. And I think he went out and got one of those pedals, but I don't think he fell in love with it the way that I did, just because I think he's more of like a smart gear nerd than I am. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I, for me, it was like, I have this, this is what I'm going to use and I don't have anything else, you know, so that's why I love it. But uh, yeah, he's he's got a really awesome ear for that kind of stuff. So he might know a little bit better than I do, you know, what's what's rad and what's not. Nice. What is the best piece of gear you own that's under two hundred dollars? You know, I think the easiest thing to say would be like an SM fifty seven, just because it's such a utilitarian microphone. But I actually realized you can get a used Cascade Fathead ribbon mic for Mm. under two hundred dollars. Huh. And I was just looking on Reverb, and I saw a couple of them on there, and I was like, oh, that is under two hundred. That's pretty cool. Um, but those are just my go-to for guitars and have been for like probably five years now. Um, recording with Mark Hudson in, uh, Fenton, Michigan. He has a studio called Rancho Recordo Mm -hmm. and he did the last Swellers record there, uh, against me taking back Sunday saves the day. A lot of really cool stuff, you know, and I used to live in Fenton, Michigan, which is, you know, super weird that all these really huge bands came through recently but he's like ribbon mic guy all the way like mm. almost overboard he has like some aea stuff some royer stuff and i think he even put like a blue dragonfly ribbon mic on the hi-hat you know mm. so i'm just like dude you're putting ribbon mics everywhere where like no one usually puts ribbon mics mm. and you know he was just kind of like yeah but it sounds sweet huh and i was like yeah i mean it does so that is one of the things that I was like, man, I'm going to use a ribbon mic for everything that I can. So my room mics for the drums are Cascade Fatheads. My guitar cab main mic is the Cascade Fathead. And then I'll have like a 57 uh, to kind of blend in. And then, yeah, even bass guitar. Like uh, people are like, what are you going to, you're going to blow out the ribbon with the low end. It's like, <laughs> man, the, these Cascade Fatheads are so resilient. They're not like a normal ribbon mic. They can handle a ton. So I kind of put it on an axis just to make sure I'm not straight blowing into it. But um, yeah, the one thing I don't like it for is uh, vocals. Yes. Uh, You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you get this really cool. I'm like, no, I couldn't even get (laughs) close to getting a usable sound. But I did record violins and horns and cello with it and all very awesome. So, you know, one day I might upgrade to you know, like a really expensive ribbon mic. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's kind of the name of my game lately is consolidate everything that I have, like get rid of stuff and sell things, but get like the best of everything, even if you just have one of them. So it's like, if I could have like this amazing ribbon mic, this amazing preamp, uh, you know, this amazing guitar, it's almost like I just, of course I'm going to have more than one, but mm-hmm. as long as I have that one, really awesome piece of gear that i can be proud of and not just like necessarily like this will get the job done and no one will know Mm -hmm. Uh, but i am finding that bands do care a lot more about guitars and amps than they do about preamps and microphones (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so yeah i'm finding when people come here i've had like one band notice my 1176 compressor and be like that's cool 
uh, the rest of them are like, is that a Les Paul? I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I even thought like my Dr. Z Route 66 amp head mm-hmm. was going to make everybody just be like, oh, hell yeah. But like, if you're under the age of 30, you don't know what that is. I, like, I, think, <laughs> I think I think you're right. We had one for a long time and it was the same thing. It's like, no one really knew, cared about that at all. Yeah, people kind of go up to it and they're like, what is that, Zenith? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, dude, it's a Dr. Z. It's Tone Machine. And they're like, there's like no knobs. I'm like, yeah, but it, you don't need them. You just yeah. turn it all up and it's going to be like ACDC. You know, so I'll eventually kind of be like, yeah, it's modeled after a Marshall JTM 45 Plexi. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, then they're game. But yeah, that's kind of one of my favorite new toys. I'm, I'm kind of doing away with like a ton of knobs going going simple nice yeah we, we used to love that on bass a lot when we had it um, Ooh, that's actually a good idea dude it, when you look at the frequency response it goes down lower than almost any amp so it makes total sense why it works on great on bass um, oh hell yeah dude because yeah i mean in my new band the apology tour i play a baritone guitar oh, okay and that dr z is kind of my main thing i put the bass on like the equivalent of what would be a two and like it's the bass knob is barely up and it is so crushing so uh yeah i can imagine i'm actually gonna do that because running like a bass through a plexi style kt66 tube head might be really sweet oh man see now you got me all excited (laughs) (laughs) i gotta do something so you just touched on the apology tour a bit uh my last question is uh do a little self-promotion tell us about the new band tell us about uh what else uh you have to promote oh yeah so the Apology Tour is me and Michelle Lukasik, who is in a band called The Conqueror Worm uh, out of Flint, Michigan. And she's actually married to Mark Mahalik, mm. who engineered and mixed like a ton of Sweller's records, like Into It, Over It, um, American Opera, like a bunch of really great stuff. Uh, and he plays drums in Kid Brother Collective and played in The Conqueror Worm. So they've been like our best friends for years. And we actually went on a a vacation to Costa Rica with them last year around this time and we were just like god we should I have all these songs we should just be in a band I don't care mm. if you guys live in Chicago five hours away like we should just do it we're not gonna like tour a ton and they were just like yeah let's do it and Michelle put her vocals on a ton of the songs I recorded Mark redid a bunch of the drums and this record came from being sort it was sort of like a me solo project that's full band And then with Michelle's vocals and kind of just everybody's input, it became this, this band, you know, like it's different sounding. It's really cool. I'm like super proud of it. And I recorded and mixed it. Mark mastered it. uh, And then Michelle did all the artwork for it. So very self-contained band kind of have Mm. one of each kind of person. Yeah. We've been playing live. I play, uh, synthesizer on a couple songs uh, we have backing tracks just to kind of uh make it a little less intense as a three-piece because like there's like weird sub synth stuff but you know we didn't want to have like a fourth member who just played single notes like whole notes on stage so we were like that'd be really boring for them and for the audience to have to watch so yeah and actually playing to a click track has been really cool because uh it's actually i think harder to be tight slower so like everybody wants to rush a little bit but when we're like yo we know the tempo we're gonna stay sludgy it's gonna be tight um but yeah that's the apology tour man uh we released a pre-order for like a seven inch 
lathe cut like clear vinyl thing <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's that sold out real quick so like you know we were happy to have that little promotional thing happen and then our full length which is called this is why we can't have nice things that comes out in mid-september sometime which i've joked is kind of the same time my baby's supposed to come out (laughs) (laughs) so we got to kind of figure out you know what's acceptable as far as playing shows around that time but we are playing the fest in gainesville um at the end of october so we'll be doing some shows on the way down there and you know some album release shows and things like that but yeah if you just look up the apology tour on twitter or facebook or anything like that or nick deaner on twitter you know you'll find something about the band and uh yeah we're real pumped and i'm I'm thankful that you had me back on here because it's kind of fun to talk about uh all the great bands that have been coming in here and finally getting that record done oh and my studio flooded four times since the last time i talked to you yeah i I forgot about that because i've i've been blocking it out of my memory but uh it's like three different locations in my basement just water coming in from god knows where i had to replace a lot of stuff but luckily no gear was destroyed just house Sorry to hear that. That's no fun. I've I've been there, so I know your pain. Yeah, one day, one day I'll be in a non-basement setting, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll have some natural light and no. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet: that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.